We're going to talk today in, in our Pivotal Moments series. Uh, it's been a series about the, the pivotal moments in the life of, of who Christ is. And, you know, recently we, uh, I saw some information that came out about uh, the status of Americans. Uh, and, you know, in my line of work, you, just like your line of work, you get surveys, you get research that comes your way. And, and so I, I, we, recently there's been some research done on the worldview of the average American. And for, uh, it will come as no shock to you if you've, if you've kind of watched the national landscape over the last 10, 15, 20 years, that right now in America, it's the first time that American, the, the general religious view of the average American is there is none. Uh, it, it is very diluted, and what we're seeing across the American landscape is that uh, now more than ever before, people claim on, on research, you're, you ever been approached back, I remember this happened to me a lot in the 80s, you'd, in the 90s, you'd walk up in the mall and somebody would come and want to do a survey, you know, and, and they want to pull you off in a room and do a survey, and then they'd promise you something, and what you end up getting was like a, a sucker or something, you know, and I, I didn't go for that, I, I fell for that one time, but when, when surveys are done, and people are polled across America, what we're seeing right now is, is that the average person doesn't really reclaim any religious affiliation. What you've got right now in America is you've got what is best described, or maybe, maybe at least, in a, not, maybe not best described, but at least described as a hybrid approach. People are pulling from different areas of belief. They pull a little bit of their own philosophy over business, and a little bit of their own philosophy over what their grandmother said, and a little bit of philosophy over what something says in Buddhism, and, and you've just got this cosmic beef stew of different beliefs that people kind of do what they what they want. And so if you look at if you look at the the track record of America, America has always been an idea. If you ask anybody that's involved in politics or socioeconomic levels, you'll find that America was founded on the, uh, the idea of an idea, and it is an idea. And so that's why you see a lot of competing philosophies. Right now, on our national landscape, you have competing philosophies over capitalism versus socialism. You have competing philosophies over things about race and critical race theory. You have competing philosophies over gender and identity. And, and, and it's easy to think that the best ideas win. It's easy to think that those that can present the best ideas win. But if you look at the scriptures, you see something very different happening. What you see in the Bible throughout the course of human history is that God has been very clear with us that we are not in a wrestling match for the best ideas. What humanity faces every day is two kingdoms. There is a kingdom of darkness and there is a kingdom of light. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. And once you understand, once you understand that the best ideas don't win on the human level, that what, what we find in tension in humanity and why people are constantly searching for truth of their own is because, in effect, the Bible is clear that we live in a spiritually infused atmosphere. We live in a spiritually driven world. And those two kingdoms are always going at it. And so once you understand that, it gets really clear really fast of what we deal with. And today I want to talk to you about what Jesus did to confront that. Because Jesus did do something super critical 
for your life and for mine. I, I want to keep going. Last week we talked about what happened at the cross. Today I want to talk to you about what I'm just going to call the practical power of the cross. The cross had what Jesus did on the cross, it had actually practical power. It didn't just have theoretical power. You see, we, we, don't, we don't worship a gospel, we worship a person. The gospel isn't a theory, it's a man. And so, so what, what I want to do is walk you through, last week we talked about what actually happened at the cross. We went through the actual crucifixion, and, and today we're going to talk more about the practical components of that. So I want you to turn your Bible to Colossians. Uh, it's in the, the New Testament. It's in one of Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you ever have trouble uh, remembering that, fellas, uh, General Electric Power Company uh, is your acronym, uh, G-E-P-C, right? So here we go, Colossians chapter 2. And, and if, if you're on a, a tablet, uh, I, I use the New American Standard if you're, if you're wanting to walk, walk along with me on that. So we're going to read just a few verses there, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. So here's what, here's what Paul gives. He gives us some understanding of what actually happened in, at the cross. Now, he's talking to believers, by the way. And I, I want to set this up, okay, because this is really important. I, I'm, I'm not going to spend long here. But understand, he's not writing to humanity at large, okay? He's not writing to humanity at large. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people that repented of their sins. People that left being a pagan, left being a Jew, left a, a world religion of some sort, and came to Christ. So Paul was the master. For those of you that teach, those of you that are in education, you know one of the greatest ways to teach somebody is uh, compare contrast. Not this way, but this way, right? Paul does it all the time in his writings, and so he's doing it again here. He says in verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the circumcision of your flesh, Jesus made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, that is, you have a real enemy, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, you see, that's principalities. That's kingdoms he's talking about right there, the kingdom of evil. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So Jesus did take on a very pivotal role at the cross. And, and I want to I walk you through these verses about how this actually applies to you and to your life. What can we learn from it? What, what does this tell us about the spiritual nature that we face every day of our lives? Well, the first truth is at the cross, Jesus actually disarmed, or I would say defeated, the power of evil. He defeated, the, that is evil proper. The concept of it, the reality of it. When, when Jesus went to the cross, he actually, the Bible says, look at what it says right there in verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he did what? He made you alive. You see, the, 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 the understanding there is that sin is sovereign. 
So what, what do you mean by that, Jason? I thought God was sovereign. God is sovereign. I'm talking about to the person that refuses to repent, to the person that doesn't want to come to Christ, sin is an all-governing authority. You are under the power of sin because you're, you're not in Christ. So when you're under the power of sin, you are going to lose that battle. You're just going to lose it. You may not lose it every time, but your track record's going to be awful, Right? So sin has a sovereign hold on the person that isn't in Christ. So notice what Paul says. It's a very unique statement. He says, God made you alive. Now, we've all got smartphones, right? We've all got phones that that are now smart. And we all have a love-hate relationship with them. At least I do. Uh, You know, those things, uh, they call it a mobile phone. No, we are chained to that thing. It is not mobile at all. It has immobilized us completely, right? But one thing about a smartphone that we all can relate to is the fact that it cannot charge itself. When that battery runs down and you panic, (laughs) right? Some of you even have phone chargers that have batteries on them. On the off chance that, uh, God help us, we, that we may not be, have access to a phone, you know. So when that battery powers down and it's completely without charge, it can't do anything. It's dead, right? My phone's dead. You know, I had a guy send me a text just this week, and he was just over and over apologizing because his phone had died, and he didn't get back to me in like six seconds. I'm like, I'm not stressed out about it. You are, you know. But our phones die. But when they die... We can't do anything about it. It takes an outside power source to power back up that phone. It can't recharge itself. That's exactly what Paul is saying about what Jesus did. If the person that is not in Christ, they are dead in their sins. It's going to take an outside infusion of life to make a dead man come alive. And that's what Jesus did. When Jesus went to the cross, he actually provided power that you could live again. So Paul says, literally, he could make you alive. So so over the presence of evil, Jesus defeated it. There's a practical component in there, too. This is where we're going to spend some time this morning. Because I want you to know that at the cross, Jesus didn't just defeat evil. He disarmed the power of evil over the believer, to disarm it. That's what he he did in effect. So for the believer, sin was sovereign. It's in the past. For those of you that are in Christ, sin has no ruling authority in your life. Jesus has the ruling authority in your life. If you truly came to Christ and you repented of your sin, then sin was sovereign. So what Jesus did at the cross was he made redemption both real and he made it practical. It says he disarmed right there in in, in verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, that is through, through Christ. So what it really means is that he, in the most real sense of the original language, he stripped evil of its power. So, so I want you to look at a, a picture. This is, uh, this is from World, World War II, and, and those are Nazi soldiers that had been captured on the field of battle. And let me, so, so what's, what's happening right there? 
what you see is a group of soldiers who just minutes before, just hours before, were armed with the ability to do harm. They were actually armed with the ability to kill people. They were tasked by their Fuhrer to carry out a mission. They were given a task to wreak havoc on their enemy, to have dominion, to have control. And so that was just moments before. But upon capture, they were stripped of their actual weapons. And then they were stripped of their authority. You see how this applies? They were stripped of the ability to carry out their mission. That's what happened at the cross. The power of evil was real. And it still is real. It, it is real. But for the believer, it has been stripped away of the harm effect. So redemption, uh, redemption in, in, in effect was, was practical and yet it was real in the eternal and in the present. So let me, let me show you this little Venn diagram I made. Redemption is both eternal and it, both, and it also has a present reality component to it. You know Venn diagrams, things that meet in the middle, right? So here's what happened at the cross. At the cross, what Jesus did was he defeated the power of evil in eternity. It, God stepped into his own creation Okay, God made us, we went astray, we chose to do life our own way, and so it wasn't that God had plan B, no, God intended to redeem what was rightfully his. So he steps into our lives, and he steps into the human race, and he provides an overcoming power of evil in and of itself. But he did something on a very practical level in that there is redemption in the eternal. There is a day, okay? So our salvation is both now and not yet. You get that? It is both now and not yet. There is a day coming where I will be fully made holy. There is a day coming that I'm going to stand before God. I'll never know what it's like to be a sinner again. By the way, I think that's going to be one of the most amazing feelings. I won't know the power of sin. The Bible says I'm a saint, whether I feel like it or not. The Bible calls me that, that I'm a saint who sins. I have redemption in the eternal, but I also have redemption in the now. And that is where I think a lot of us don't really understand the practical power of evil when it comes to the, the actual truths that, that we have Evil does have an influence, but listen to me, friends. For those of you that are in Christ, you need to understand something. In order for the power, now I'm talking to Christians, okay? If you're watching at home, I'm just, I'm talking to believers here. If you're in Christ, the only way that evil has sway over you is if you let it. Evil has power over your decisions if you forfeit what is yours. If you're willing to give power back to the enemy, I can promise you he'll take it. He'll take it. So the only way for us to be influenced by the dominion of evil is for us to, to give power 
a way that was ours to hold. So what I'm, I'm encouraging you to do this morning is understand the power that is yours in Christ. If you are a son or daughter of God, if you've been ransomed by Jesus Christ, if the old has been made new, if Christ, who you have been crucified in Christ, and I no longer live, Galatians 2.20, but now I've been raised in Christ, and the life I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. You see, if you are crucified in Christ, and you're a new creature, the old is gone, the new has come. Well, then anytime you're influenced by outer forces, that's all it is. You are not being overpowered. So when the enemy comes your way, you don't have to fight. It's not a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. It's a truth encounter. You have a different story. And I think that's where a lot of Christians really... Miss it. I really do. It's, look, I want, there's so many verses I could go over with you this morning, but let me just give you two big encouraging verses. One's from John 8. Look at what Jesus said to us. He said to the disciples, so it, it, this, you know, we, we are part of the family of God. And so what did he say? He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. Free. Truth brings freedom, right? Truth brings freedom. The greatest thing anybody can do for you is tell you the truth. That's really hard in America these days. Because nobody likes anybody telling them the truth about really anything. Truth is a pathway. I tell my boys all the time, you know, when they pout and, you know, you see them stub up. What my daddy used to call it, they're stubbed up. It's just a southern way of saying, you know, obstinate. (laughs) You know, And I I tell them since they were little, I can't help you get better if you refuse to be told how to get better. I can't help make it better if you're so mad that I'm trying to help you that you can't hear it. You know? So feedback is your best friend. It's not your worst enemy. Feedback's your best friend. Jesus is saying to us, truth brings you freedom. Let me tell you something, friends. For, the, for all of you in this room that have people that are not in Christ, people that you know in your family, people that you know in the workforce, people that are some of your closest friends, all right? Listen, the greatest act of love you can show them is to tell them about what the power of sin is going to do to them if they continue. Love doesn't neglect Love doesn't neglect. So for us, we've been set free by the truth. So so Jesus is saying, I've given you new power that you couldn't get on your own. You were dead in your transgressions. I'm the one that made you alive. Jesus also said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth comes, what will he do? He will guide you in truth. He will guide you in truth. So so understand that now that we have a new lens, now that we can understand that the kingdom of evil doesn't have dominion over us unless we choose to let it, we can understand exactly what Jesus was doing when he went to that cross. Understand, if you continue on in Colossians, you're going to see at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul 
kind of goes a little step further with you here. We're not going to spend a ton of time here, but, but he's talking about all that Jesus did to disarm the rulers and the authorities. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, therefore, and that it means because of what I just told you. Well, what did he just tell us? You're a new creation in Christ. Then he says in verse 1, therefore, verse th- chapter 3, verse 1, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. See, that's a choice. Set your mind. And this, let me tell you, let me tell you, I'm going to stop for a second and tell you why that, that's such a powerful verse right there. Go, go backward one, one image, two images to that Venn diagram. Yeah, see, in that green space right there, that's where we have both the eternal and the present power of redemption. Which tells me, according to chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, I have a choice about the story I believe. I have a choice about what I believe about people. I have a choice about what I believe about money. I have a choice about what I believe about where I invest my time. I have a choice about what I believe about the world. I have a choice about what I believe about anything, and that is because I've got a new Mind. When Jesus took over my life, I didn't get a new brain, but I did get a new mind. I got a new set of lenses to interpret the world around me. And so now God is, is giving me truth to interpret that world. So you understand what Paul says. He says, so therefore set your mind, verse 2, on the things above, not on the things of this earth. And this is really good stuff, okay? Verse 3, for you have died Listen to the the weight of that. You've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you'll also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, man, this is really good. Pay Pay attention right here. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire. Greeds, which amount to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. That's past tense, friend. That's past tense. Notice what he talks about idolatry right there. Which amounts to idolatry, verse 5. You just sang about idols a minute ago in one of those worship songs. You know what an idol is? An idol is a place in a person's life where Christ doesn't have authority. And I think that's what hinders so many American Christians. If you go back to that Venn diagram again... We, we are willing to accept the power of Jesus in the eternal. We are willing to let Jesus have eternal rule. But it's when we get over into the present realities, that's where idols show up. Notice that Paul didn't mention anything about idols in the heavenlies. Because there aren't any. There's one ruler. But in the present reality, well, an idol is simply a place in your life where you have refused to give Jesus authority. 
And when you do that, don't be shocked if you reap the chaos. I'm, I'm not picking on you. I'm saying I've lived it. Why do you think I preach this stuff? You think I'm immune to it? Like I, you know, I tell people all the time, get to know me, you'll find it ain't all pretty. They think I'm joking. I'm really not. Ask my long-term friends. Ask my wife. Ask people on, on staff with me. I don't always get it right, especially on Mondays. No, we, we have present realities. and We have real-life things that, that impact how we live life. And so I think what happens with Christians is, is we are willing to give Jesus the authority and the eternal, but it's in the practical. And so what Jesus did when he went to that cross, friends, is he, he's basically telling you at the cross, you don't have to wait to eternity to experience the power of eternity in the present. You don't have to wait for eternity. To experience the power of holy God. You see, Jesus wasn't just coming in to make life better. Jesus was, in effect, overthrowing a religious system. It was a religious system. Made by, made by paying homage and, and working your way to make God happy and working your way to, to prove yourself and to constantly, it was based on rules. They, they took Ten Commandments and made 600 and something out of them. We laugh at that, but we've done the same thing, right? So Jesus came and he broke and he snapped. He snapped the stronghold of power over this religious thought and said, no, I'm coming to redeem all of that. But I wonder, I wonder in that current model right there on the screen, the eternal versus present reality, I wonder sometimes if this very issue isn't why so many Christians aren't experiencing the power of God over their home, over their money, over their sex life, over what they view on Netflix. You see, Christians live in this, I see so many Christians that live in this defeated posture, and they live with their shoulders down and their head down, and I'm saying, you don't have to live that way. You really don't. You really don't. Yeah, but you don't know what happened to me when I was a teenager. I don't know. And, and it's, some of you have incredibly bad stories, but I'm telling you, friends, Jesus disarmed the power of that story over you. He really did. But it doesn't work if you give power back to the enemy, because he'll take it if you, if you give it to him. It doesn't work if you give power back to him. And I wonder if, if the left side of this Venn diagram is really, in effect, for lack of a better phrase, fire insurance. Listen, some of you, some of you were raised, maybe some of you watching at home, you were... You were, you were taught that you could come to Jesus and you could escape hell. And that is true. That is true. But I'm telling you, friends, Jesus did not come just so you don't have to go to hell. Jesus came so that your life doesn't have to be a living hell. Jesus came so that your life has real power based 
on his presence now. That's why when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. The kingdom of redemption, the, this power of redemption, I don't have to wait till I stand before God to, to feel the power and the empowerment of his life in me. It's not just about fire insurance. I, I, don't, don't for a second think I'm diminishing anything Jesus did for the eternal. No, it all starts there. It all starts there. But so many Christians that I've known in my Christian walk, they go to that baptistry, and, and, and that's basically touching home plate for them if this were a baseball game. And I'm saying, no, that's just you finally hit the pitch. You, you finally hit the pitch. And now, now I'm going to tell you to do what I used to tell my sons and all the little kids that I coached when they were like, you know, six years old and hitting the ball off a tee. The first thing I say to them is, bam, run! Right? Run! Okay! You know? And run that way. Oh, okay. You know? That's what we do. You got to run. But yet, we hit the pitch and we think, did it! And I'm saying, friend, you're experiencing. There, if there is so much more to God, why would you ever settle for less? Why would you ever settle for less? Why? You may experience Jesus in the eternal, but are you experiencing him in your thought life? Are you experiencing him in your checkbook? Are you experiencing Jesus with fulfillment in your job? Are you experiencing Jesus And that story that used to be you, are you experiencing Jesus? Jesus does have dominion. But here's the final question that I want. And I wrote it down here so you can see it. Jesus has dominion over evil. But does he have dominion over you? Does he have dominion over you? And that's a choice. And that's where you struggle. An idol is a place where Christ is being denied authority. And you can stop that. And you can stop fighting. And you can experience the power of the living Jesus Christ over anything you face. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.